HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Dan Bolte. I'm Souther T. And I'm Greg Benson. Gentlemen, it is winter and that means it's award season out there. And Holy cow. I know, I know. And yeah. I know that I'm like the movies and TV guy here, but I actually don't watch this particular show. I'm starting to think maybe I should because it's it's cleaning up at the awards season. And not only that, but I'm also seeing the lead actor like in his underwear all over New York City these days. <laughs> it just seems like it seems like it's a big deal. But I, I've I've seen one episode and I loved it. I need to dive in. But do you guys watch The Bear? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen all the episodes that are available, which is two seasons worth, I think. Um I have opinions, Damon. I think you do as well. Well, okay. So when it first came out, I was like, it it, it hit too real for me working in the service industry, <laughs> um, which I thought was a good thing. I mean, it was like, it's kind of hard to, you know, this, this show is, you know, a lot of it is about working in the service industry. Uh, and, you know, like to watch that show, uh, especially in the beginning, it was like, oh God, like. It, it was like, uh, this is a little too real. And, you know, it's hard to explain to people who haven't worked in the industry uh, exactly like how crazy it can be. And I think it hit pretty hard on that. And so I was really, but the, the main part was for, uh, you know, just for the actual just legitimacy of the show is that, you know, there are bottles of Frenette everywhere in the office <laughs> and, you know, they're smoking all the time. But then also there's a giant Malort, uh, you know, it, the the show takes place in Chicago, and there's a giant Malort uh, billboard above the restaurant. And I was like, well, okay, right. they okay, they did the research. You know, yeah, there are definitely so. some hidden gems in there. You know, uh, the team drinking out of court containers that 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 sends a uh, you know uh, resonance for me. Do you think that the show is giving uh, the um, the general public a, a greater sense of empathy towards uh, our field of endeavor? I think so. I think you know. Yeah. I, I, to be 
completely honest, like now that I live out here in you know the North Bay, San Francisco, uh, I I don't really I don't have as many industry friends um, that I hang out with on the regular as I did in, and still do in New York. So a lot of a lot of them are like civilians, you know, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, so the, the way they talk about it is very. I think that they're 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 getting the you know getting the message a lot, but also I mean. Like I'm sure you have an opinion. I just want to say this real quick, though. Like I love that Maddie Matheson. Like he's been a, a friend of ours mm-hmm. for a long time. You know, he's a really, he's really tight with the Franks. And, you know, Frankies and you know, prime meats and all that stuff. So like I've just been around him for years. And then to see him uh, play it, to a large extent himself on yeah, exactly. the show, you know, <laughs> it's like it's really cool. And I'm I'm just happy for his success. But uh, what are what's your take on it? I mean, I think that having lived in Chicago for as long as I did and having been in kitchens for as long as I was, I can see a lot of things that they're definitely getting right about both Chicago and kitchens. But of course, it's for television. I see a lot of things that are wrong. So, But that's as an insider's view. I also do feel a lot of like Ajita and uh, you know the way that they film it and the way that it's written and it's really driving home the sort of stress level that's, that's, um, you know, that we're kind of used to because we've been in it for so long. So I, I can certainly see that th- this would draw some greater sense of empathy from the general civilians as you put them about what what it is we do in, in bars and restaurants and I'm all I'm all for that and and I didn't know until Greg just mentioned before we got on the air that the, that they're crushing uh, all the awards so I'll yeah. pay even closer attention I guess in the next season but uh I, I like it I certainly watch it but I do see things that I'm like uh, you know there's I no think there's way a, that, uh, there's a cultural social kind of situation in that show like that definitely goes back to what we faced in the cocktail bar world, right? Mm-hmm. With running cocktail a programs. Of, a little it, bit of foot stamping to say that we're serious here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And there's a lot of pushback, you know, and finally people started saying, like, they started realizing, like, oh, you're just trying to make yeah. good stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and trying to, trying to like, make it for us. You know, like, okay, I get it now. Right. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it's worth a couple extra bucks for a drink or a sandwich or whatever the hell it might be. You know, it's like, you know. You know, it's like Brad Thomas Parsons. He he lives up on Atlantic Avenue above Montero Bar, but you know, he goes down to Defante's. It's not far, but there's not like a subway to get there, right. or you know, it's like, and it's the Defante sandwich shop is legendary. And it's like, of course, you know, and he posts about it all the time. It's like, yeah, it's it's worth the extra effort to get there and have a better thing, you know. Exactly. I, so that's kind of my take on it. Um, Greg, do you have any any uh, input on the show and all that? <laughs> Well, I only watched one episode, and it's the, okay. the Feast of the Seven Fishes episode, which I thought was incredible. Was that the Thanksgiving episode? Maybe it was the Thanksgiving no. episode, yeah. It was the one, the one the one that has, like, Bob Odekirk and John Mulaney yeah. and John Bernthal and Jamie Lee Curtis, that one. Um, tough episode to watch, to be honest. Tough really episode to watch, but so well done. I mean, my God. Yeah. Like, that was the one I, – I watched that at a friend's house, and I was just kind of like, okay, what's, what's this show about? I need to take it seriously because I'd been not watching it in an almost deliberate way because I had sort of felt a little like we're, we're sort of talking about like the, the way this show hits with the civilians and I, in a sort of what I'll admit is a very contrarian trolley sort of way. When people would find out what I did, they'd be like, they'd want to talk about the bear. They're like, Oh my God, do you watch the bear? And I just have to be like, and I'd be like, no, no, I don't No, Because I, and part of me was <laughs> what you guys were describing is I'd heard a lot of people being like, yeah, I got like, triggered by watching that show like the same way the same way that like we all still have dreams about like ticket printers 
and like you know oh, yeah <laughs> yeah that, that stole... scene is in several of the episodes mm-hmm. yeah exactly the machine I know. running over yeah yeah everyone everyone like wakes up in a cold sweat if you've been in this industry long enough because you've heard that thing in your sleep and i feel like people have told me that that's sort of the experience of watching the show but it yeah. seems to me like they're kind of moving in a very um almost doing what you guys were describing where you know, they sort of had to to stamp their feet a little bit and say, we're here. And now they're kind of moving in a direction of like, okay, you know, we've been around, we've gotten some recognition, like, let's, let's flex our creative limbs a little bit and see what we can do. So I need to pick it up. But Damon, you were also saying that like, it kind of hit some, some uh, special little nostalgia nerves for you, because it reminded you a little bit of like your first spot in New York, right? Yeah, well, I mean, just my early days, I, I was lucky enough to get into the industry right like right before the cocktail renaissance started it was like the early 2000s i mean you know we can say like milk and honey and pagu club and places like that were around uh you know already doing this kind of stuff and like but like really when i got into it it was like you know i was i was in oklahoma in oklahoma city and so it was that that stuff was definitely not going to happen for years to come uh you know there with the the cocktail kind of revival and renaissance but i'd moved to new york city in the mid 2000s and uh i i could feel it and i felt it for you know almost a decade uh, into you know basically to the time i opened grand army but um I, I felt that change happening, but, you know, it all started, uh, you know, really for me, like getting, getting into it and moved to New York city and, you know, doing what I wanted to do, uh, with getting into this industry. Part of that is actually poignant for our guest day because the first bar job, uh, that I had in New York city, I was the head bartender at this little Japanese cocktail bar in Hell's kitchen, uh, that's long gone. And, you know, it, it was, it was fun for me because not only like moving to New York city uh, and being a bartender for a little bit, you know, like I couldn't get a job anywhere as a bartender. So I had to fall mm-hmm. back on graphic design and a lot of graphic designers <laughs> got really pissed off at me in New York city. Cause they were like, I can't find a graphic design job. There are too many graphic designers. So I guess I'm going to have to work in the service industry. And I was like, I can't get a job in the service industry because I didn't right. have New York experience air quotes. Um, but I was really thankful for that job because I got to meet some really amazing people, but realistically it was, it got me out of my comfort zone. I moved to New York because of the Manhattan cocktail. I wanted, knew I wanted to work in cocktails and I knew I wanted to move to New York city. Right. And this kind of got me out of my comfort zone and I got to, got to learn to speak Japanese uh, a little bit, you know, uh, which is also an interesting thing talking about the bear and like language barriers and things like that, that happened in the, the restaurant industry. So it was really, it was a very educational experience for me. And especially on the, the subject of the spirits that we were using, I mean, there's a lot of sake, but we were using shochu and soju in cocktails and I got to learn all about them. And like, it's one of my favorite subjects. So I'm really Really excited to talk about this today because we will be talking about the the wonderful world of spirit that is soju. And uh, there's no one better to have on the show to talk about this than our friend, Bran, who, I, like, the, you're, you know, it's it's crazy looking at your bio. So we, we got to get into the yeah. show because there's a lot <laughs> to talk about. But uh, Bran Hill is the founder and master stiller of soju and we're going to be talking about that today so welcome to the show brand thanks so much for having me guys absolutely where are you coming in from 
Uh, I'm in South Korea right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. So world uh, you you're like all over the place though. I mean, like you've you've lived in Brooklyn and you're in uh, South Carolina. I mean, like it, tell us about. I mean, first of all, like tell us what soju is for our listeners and kind of how you got into it. Uh, yeah, soju is the uh, just national drink of Korea. It is uh, inherently new, uh, unique to Korea. And uh, soju kind of found me. Um, I wasn't looking for it. You know, I had a background yeah, in yeah. brewing, distilling, and, uh, you know, a job kind of presented itself in Korea back in 2011, uh, which was Year of the Rabbit. And that's kind of the, uh, the auspicious symbol that made way to the namesake. Um, yeah, just kind of fell in love with it. Um, and then from Korea, I moved to New York, like you said, was in Brooklyn, actually met you at Grand Army. And yeah. I didn't know it until I saw your face and you mentioned Grand Army. But I was a distiller <laughs> at um, uh, Van Brunt Stillhouse at the time. Right. When yeah. I came in there. Yeah. And uh, and then, yeah. And then some of my friends from Korea um, and Sohee Kim and Yong from Insa, which is a uh, so restaurant awesome. in um, in Gowanus. They, uh, they were kind of doing elevated Korean food and they wanted a um, elevated Korean soju because at the time there was only green bottle soju available and they couldn't really pair it with their higher level food. So, um, yeah, we, we talked for a while. Uh, I had access to a distillery. I knew how to make Korean soju, makgeolli, chongju, um, many, uh, many types of alcohol from Korea. And it just kind of snowballed. Uh, and here we are today, eight years later, which is wild. Awesome, man. Yeah. And like, and so he's so awesome. Like, it's is great. I mean, good for uh, Gage and Tolner, all, you know, like amazing, amazing uh, roster of, of restaurants, bars that they have, of course. Um, so when you got into, like, I know for me, a lot of the, the way that I drink, it's, it's cocktail forward. You know, that's, that's the whole reason why I got into this industry. But, you know, the cool thing with Soju, is that you know traditionally it's drunk on its own, right? But it works really well in cocktails. And what's cool about your lineup too is that for me, a lot of my experience in the early days with soju and shoju is like you know it'd be like anywhere from like twenty four to thirty five percent alcohol. So it's actually like traditionally kind of like low ABV, but you're pushing it almost to like bo bottled in bond with uh, some of your marks. <laughs> I mean, it's it's up there. So it actually like really stands up and stands out in cocktails. So what's your kind of, what do you, do you like to enjoy it? Like I know a lot of times it's served on the rocks, uh, you know, traditionally, or uh, just like maybe with soda water as a highball. Uh, how do you like to enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, you made a, a lot of good points there. It's a um, soju is a totally different animal from uh, the way it's consumed here in Asia to, uh, to the West. Um, it is, uh, but, oh, nice. Yeah, pop that bottle. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of the two. thing um, my partner, Doug Park, and I uh, wanted to do is we wanted to make soju a a global recognized spirit. And we knew that it, it really wasn't going to take off in the West unless it was able to be integrated in cocktails in the way you could drink in the West, which is more in kind of a bar format um, where here in Asia, you know, it's definitely... Uh, especially South Korea, it's called an Anju culture where you sit down and you uh, drink with food. So you're always in a community. It's never really in a bar format. Um, but actually the traditional sojus like way back from the Chosan dynasty were high ABV and uh, high ABV. So 
uh, like our black label, which is 40%, which is great for cocktails, or our gold label, which is 46, the barrel aged version. Um, that's kind of the way they were drinking it back in the day. Uh, it was kind of whatever it came off the still at. Um, it didn't really make the new format, which was the low ABV uh, until like the 1960s. And that's where kind of gave way to the green bottle sojus that we know today. But that probably also spurred on the method of drinking, right? It's my understanding that you sort of crack open a bottle at the beginning of a meal and you have little tiny nips all throughout the meal until the bottle's gone. And, and effectively here, then um, food becomes the mixer, right? Uh, plus, obviously, you know, the, the, the conversation at the table. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's very ritualistic too. So even the drinking culture, uh, the way you pour for your friends, the way you cheers uh, when you drink, uh, it's very Confucianist. So um, the older you are, you take hierarchy in the format where the younger drinkers have to turn and look away from their um, older counterparts. And uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a really cool drinking custom and culture surrounded by soju that we wanted to bring to the West and bring attention to the category and kind of change the perception of it just being kind of the, you know, the bottom of the barrel green bottle stuff, which it has a beautiful history. And we want to have it operate on the same level of respect as like sakes and sochus. Yeah. It, like, I just love the, the, that, that culture and that kind of run of show where it's like, as Souther said, the food becomes the mixer, but also like, it, it, you know, I appreciate your, your work on this and bring it to the West, as you say. Um, but guys, like the whole world has drinking cultures like this, we're the ones who fucked up, you know, uh, like, we, like, we, like, why don't we drink, you know, like, you know, you know, bourbon's our national spirit. Why don't we have like nips of bourbon, you know, and toasts like with every bite, mm -hmm. you know, like, and you know, you think about like, uh, like, like Aquavit and, and vodka, like when you're sure. in, in those zones and like how they drink it, like spirits are so like, they need to be normalized again in the United States as something that you do have in a social setting, like a dinner, you know, like we, we kind of romanticize wine, but it's like, you know, brandy also works. It's distilled wines. So I just say it, you know, it's like, there's a whole, there's a lot of work to be done in just the way that we drink alcohol in the United States. And, and it, I think it's really cool to bring, like when we do bring in something like a, a soju or an aquavit, it, uh, you know, when you go to Sammy's Romanian or, you know, there, there was always like a bottle of vodka on the table and you're just, it's like kind of showing America that the rest of the world had like, this is totally normal, you know, and that there are traditions and, uh, you know, rituals right. in, that involve not just, it's not just something to, to you know, way older than on. us, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not just something to get your load on and get the job done. I want to talk yeah. a little bit about your, your Sochu and Sochu in general, like, there's so many um, other spirit categories that are uh, so closely named and so closely associated that I think there's a lot of confusion going on. So can you talk a little bit about like what is Soju made of, how is it made, and what sets it apart from, say, some of the other spirits from that region? Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a that's a great question, and in part of uh, bringing as, soju... as I sit here and just enjoy this while I listen. <laughs> no, yeah, please, please have at it. Uh, yeah, it was a big conversation, especially when we started the company in Brooklyn. Uh, it took a lot of education and, you know, because some people would see it and they're like, oh, I don't get it. Is it sake? Is it like a Korean vodka? So um, soju is derived from the Chinese. Um, so and ju, so meaning burnt, ju meaning alcohol, 
Same with Sochu. It's just the Japanese have a little bit different pronunciation, but it's still based on the kanji or the hanja of Chinese. Uh, the main difference is distillation was brought into Korea by the Mongolians, and they had ceramic lambic style stills. And uh, soju was usually made from rice, and their um, yeast and enzyme was called nuruk, which is N-U-R-U-K. It's the same enzyme as koji, which is aspergillus orze, but in Japan, it's cultivated off of rice. In Korea, it's cultivated off wheat or barley cakes, which usually has some wild yeast attached to it. And uh, baiju, which is kind of, um, which is the Chinese version, bai is the, um, the Chinese for white, which means white liquor, uh, is now more popular with sorghum and usually the highest APV, ABV of all three. So China, um, I usually equate to sorghum. Korea, nuruk and rice was the original way until like the 1960s. Uh, Korea did a ban on uh, using rice for alcohol just so they could use the rice to feed the nation. And uh, that was lifted in 1999, but never really made a resurgency back to the old ways uh, until now. Like now there's kind of a renaissance in uh, in new sojus. And sochu in Japan, um, usually made from sweet potato or barley, uh, koji being the enzyme. And there's, I believe, three islands in the south that have the designation that they can do sochu out of uh, black sugar cane. Um, but yeah, they, t they taste way, way different. Uh, I'm sure your Japanese is better than mine. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure. Black sugar, I, yeah. Well, there's also yeah, like, uh, I've seen like sesame, like, uh, sesame shochus and like all kinds of, there's all kinds of cool, like kind of, I, maybe not like traditional, but just kind of like offshoots and like kind of the same way that we like flavor different spirits, but it's naturally flavored, you know? And it's, there's just like, I love the sweet potato stuff too. It's so good. And it's a little bit more like earthy and raw. It kind of reminds me of like the mezcal of the East, you know, of sorts. Um, but yeah, sorry. Like I said, I, I love this subject. So don't, don't let me bother uh, or interrupt. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Jump in at, at any time. Oh, yeah, I, the, the, I'll start the, drinking now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fermentation processes are a lot different, um, especially when you start drifting away from cereal grains and you start using things like sweet potato or, our sugars. Um, and then distillation is a lot different from Japan to, uh, to Korea as well. Um, but yeah, they, uh, because they sound the same, they're usually interchangeable in conversations, but yes, sochu, soju, wildly different. Um, soju, Korea, sochu, Japan. Yeah. I like how, like to me, going back to the food conversation after you just tasted yours, like, um, the thing that makes this work so well for me too, is it's just so clean, you know? And so like, it's, 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 I, I remember the first, my first experiences with it, with both soju and shochu, I was just like, wait, like, I, and this is like, maybe it's a PSA, uh, but <laughs> like, I've never had a hangover when I drink this stuff, you know, and I've had a lot of it <laughs> in certain <laughs> settings. But like, it's just, to me, it's just like a clean, very natural feeling alcohol. And sorry, go go ahead, Greg. Well, I was just wondering, and and uh, I want to say uh, just a bit of counter evidence. I have had a hangover just from drinking this because you, Bran, <laughs> sent me and, and all of us actually very generously a lot of samples. And I sampled pretty hard one night and I was um, 
feeling feeling the the <laughs> results of all of that hard work that I did for my job uh, the next Attaboy. morning. But um, but I do I do sort of wonder with uh, spirits like this that have that kind of malleable base ingredient. I think we sort of get. I don't know, maybe I get held up on categorizations more than than other people do. But I guess I sort of want to know what is the the through line for you in terms of soju in that it can be all these different ABVs and made with all these different um, raw ingredients. And it's not like, you know, brandy, which has to be made from fruit or rum, which has to be made from some sort of some sort of sugar product. What to you is kind of like the what makes soju soju what's sort of the through line and the heart of it for you no that's a great question and you know there is no real aoc or designation on what soju is and that's mostly because um of the korean government you know they um the green bottles are mostly just kind of ethanol with whatever they source from that year you know where it can be like tapioca uh wheat uh overstock from brazil like cane um and then that just their kind of chemical cocktail but what we wanted to do is showcase a traditional recipe. So I'm doing a traditional recipe called a bumbuck style. And um, this is from the Chosan dynasty. And that's kind of like the only way I know how to tell my story is what we're doing is we're taking ancient recipes and bringing them to the modern world with, uh, you know, new technology, like better distillation techniques and uh, fermentation techniques and have refrigeration and, uh, yeah, like you said, David, like it is so clean and um, the white label, which you're drinking now is supposed to not compete with Korean food, like because Korean food is so, you know, spicy, sour, um, flavorful that it's supposed to almost be like a pa palate cleanser, you know, nothing that mm -hmm. kind of interrupts uh, the meal. And that's why it's, totally. it's just supposed to be really clean. We're really strict with our cuts, um, you know, because we're not adding anything on the back end. There's no sugars, no chemicals. Um, no additives. So yeah, it's, it's super clean. It's the heart of the heart of the run. Um, and that's why hopefully you don't get as many hangovers as, as Greg, maybe, but, but yeah, it, the white label is supposed to be clean, uh, supposed to be really easy to drink, sip with a meal. Um, because like Sather was saying, it's, you know, just kind of nips and shots throughout the meal. Well, you also, can call like, that hangover like, user error brand. It's fine. It's not, also, when it comes to food, it's like even the higher proof stuff that you sent to us, it's like the thing that I've always gotten out of like soju and soju, like with food is like, you know, we kind of think of like spirits is hot here in the States because uh, a lot of times they are, you know, but, at, you know, and we don't really drink too many types of spirits here neat, especially when it comes to food, but there's something really cool and refreshing, even with the higher proof stuff that's like extinguishing for those spicy foods. They, they mm -hmm. just go really well together. It's like, it's like kind of what grows together, goes together, that whole uh, saying, you know, and it, it does, it, it works incredibly well together. More soju, please. Like it's, it, <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you sent five bottles to me. So uh, I can <laughs> continue to enjoy it, but they're, they're going to, I mean, like, you know, Greg is much younger than me, and he drinks a lot heavier than I do these days. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's just I'm old, <laughs> and uh, yeah. sl nah, I've slowed down at my age. You've tempered yourself um, a little bit. So, but you were saying, like, kind of speaking of food, I mean, was there, 
was there working with Zoe, like, uh, you know, kind of talking about some of the food and traditional thing, like in like working with Van Brunstel House, like, was this like kind of a, a combination of influences and neighbors and like your, your community uh, to kind of figure out like how you wanted to approach this? I mean, was there a, a inspiration that comes from that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I worked with uh, Yong and Sohi from uh, Insa on developing their soju, which was kind of the first. It was a different recipe and a different soju than what Toki was. So, you know, it was just kind of them coming to me and they were like, hey, we, we want kind of a house soju. Is this something you're interested in? I'm like, absolutely. Like, let's let's do it. Let's get weird. What was so, that development process like? I mean, was it just a lot of eating and drinking? <laughs> like, just I mean... Yeah, it was, it was mostly just, you know, a couple, like a lot of small batches, uh, pairing it. And then, um, you know, we did, we wanted, they kind of wanted a sweeter version, you know, to kind of bridge the gap from what people knew as soju in the U S with the green bottle stuff to, uh, you know, to a more elevated version. And, um, yeah, they were, they were just so amazing and it, it went over so well that more and more Korean restaurants just kept lighting up my inbox to the point where I had to start taking it seriously. Um, I took on a Korean American partner, Doug. And uh, he convinced me that, yeah, it was bigger than me. Like, let's have Soju have a moment. And I was like, yeah, as long as, you know, Koreans and Korean restaurants are down with me doing it, let's go. So yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. It's been eight years. First four in Brooklyn. Um, the second four, we've been in Korea, uh, which I'm at right now. And yeah, hopefully another eight to come or more. So yeah, you started in Brooklyn. That... You're, you're now producing, you're producing in Korea or you're producing here in America? Uh, so we're in what I like to say 3.0 of Toki. The first iteration was just Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of just hoarded our money, saved it uh, to build the distillery out here in Korea. We thought if we really wanted to change the category, we should start at the motherland using, you know, the local ingredients and everything. Uh, so the first, so the second four years, we built the distillery here. And we just now are in our third tier where we're expanding and we're now um, distilling out of California and Korea, um, just because uh, California actually grows more Korean chops out their rice varietal than Korea. Um, so we were going to, you know, eventually hit kind of a, uh, a plateau on how much we could produce. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're now distilling out of California as well. Well, plus, I'm certain that helps with your footprint, right? Like if you're producing and selling in Korea and you're producing and selling in, in America, then that's that's reducing, you know, a lot of like carbon emissions, et cetera, right? That's the point, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, logistically, it makes a lot more sense, um, yeah, just to do it there, too. And, yeah, hopefully North America. What about this? I mean, like, you know, it's it's interesting that you were able to start producing and continue producing in the United States and calling it soju with so many spirit categories that have, you know, over just in this century, you know, have uh, – gotten their AOC, their appellations uh, recognized by the TTB. You know, we were talking with our friend, Steven Soderberg, uh, Steven Soderberg, <laughs> Souther, uh, we, you got a new name, uh, about Singani last week. And, you know, he got the TTB to recognize Singani as a uh, Appalachian spirit, right? Um, is there any plan? You said it's kind of like, it's kind of wild there, right? You can kind of make it in a lot of different ways. Uh, there's no real rules. I was wondering if that's something you're you're considering kind of spearheading to make it an actual 
Appalachian or, or probably not though, because then that means you probably have to exclusively distill in, in South Korea, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I would have no issue with that. Uh, to be honest, like I, I would really love that for Korea. I, I know that will never happen just because, uh, the soju, um, so all the green bottle sojus are not distilleries. They're not producers. They just buy bulk spirit from the government and the government does not get it from Korea. So uh, there's no way that they're going to do that because that's their cash. Interesting. So, um, you know, it's, it's a $3 billion business that they're kind of, you know, tapping at both sides where they're not only selling the booze to the bottlers, which are the green bottle soju brands, but then they're also taxing it on the sale of that. So mm. I can't ever see them um, putting a hard designation on soju. Uh, I have no, I would have no problem with it. Um, I would forego for the, for Korea, but. So is it similar? Uh, sorry, we're asking so many like nerdy no, like, no, business no. questions. So Let's I, get into it. I mean, show I, is, I like you know? it. Yeah. Um, but when you say green bottle soju, um, so, you know, it's, it sounds to me like, uh, not dissimilar to some of the larger, say whiskey producers in the United States, where a lot of people like create their own brands and labels, but they're buying the juice from, uh, distilleries. But you're saying the government actually distills and, and brings in product from outside of the country. Are there any like quote unquote green bottle sojus that are like, uh, like the the hip brand kind of thing like with flashy packaging you know they're like kind of like fake in the funk uh like some of the i won't name any names you know like certain like bourbons you know that are like oh yeah i mean i would say like i give the examples like you know oh yeah george washington totally like this was his distillery it's like fucking bullshit i uh, had nothing to do with this you're just using that is there any kind of that happening in in south korea with soju yeah. Not as much. They're not really trying to be like the cool craft scene. They're kind of trying to be the uh, the budget soju. You know, right. like it, gotcha. it's kind of you know it it sells for you know one of the three fifty milliliter bottles goes for a, the equivalent of a dollar. So they're really not trying to too hard. Their uh, volume is their game. They're they're definitely not trying to look cool. That's probably what Greg uh, was actually drinking uh, when he got that hangover. <laughs> right? <laughs> we can't roll it out at this point. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I mean, there's there. I think uh, I think there's a place for all sojus, you know, in, including theirs. I just, you know, we wanted to show a tier. We wanted to show that it can be elevated to another level, and that it, you know it has a cool history that really isn't told um, outside of Korea, um, and even in Korea, very small minutia. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. The world is changing. 
faster than ever, and you need a website to go with it. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking to build your following or just starting out with a brand new idea, you need a landing page that's bold, innovative, and uniquely yours. Whatever your passion, you need a web designer with experience, panache, and heart. We can't help you with any of that. Hi, I'm Lou Bank. And I'm Greg Benson. Are we Silicon Valley tech visionaries? No, we're podcast hosts. And that's basically the same thing. And we're here to tell you about Ancestral Agave Syrup. Ancestral Agave Syrup is the 100% pure nectar of the agave plant. Now, wait a minute, you're thinking. I've had 100% pure agave nectar. Well, not like this, you haven't. That stuff is processed with a diffuser, which introduces acid. Plus, it comes from Blue Weber, a monoculture that dominates farms, depletes the soil, and won't help you grow your brand or expand your e-commerce functionality. Ancestral agave syrup, on the other hand, is made by slowly cooking down the pure agua miel from Salmiana agaves in Hidalgo and Tlaxcala, two states that have been harvesting those plants for generations. It also won't expand your e-commerce functionality, but it will grow your brand if your brand is person who makes kick-ass margaritas or pecan pies or pancakes. Unfortunately, the families behind this tasty stuff are being offered big beer company bucks to rip out their agave and plant barley instead, which would be a crime because ancestral agave syrup is about as far from the processed stuff as 100% pure Vermont maple syrup is from that sticky bottle at a diner. So don't build a homepage from one of several easy-to-use templates, but do grab Ancestral Agave Syrup. Today, our first 25 customers will also receive a special limited edition Agave Superhero comic book. So do not wait. Protect the land, make better drinks, and save the bats by grabbing some today. Go to... Wait, what was that about bats? Uh, yeah, it's an important food source on the migration path of the Mexican long-nosed bat. Huh. Yeah, the flowering stalks of the agave also provide protection from predators. Oh, that's cool. Should we get back to the ad now? Yeah, let's do that. Go to AncestralAgave.com or click the link in the show notes to grab some today. Ancestral Agave Syrup. It won't help you build a beautiful website, but it will make your cocktails taste really, really good. I want to talk a little bit about how you're sort of a triple threat on the bottle um, that's in front of us. Uh, you have a, um, a major in both uh, molecular biology as well as business, plus you have some art background. So you made the thing, you made the business of the thing, and then you created the label on the thing. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a one-man show at the beginning. Um, I, uh, Yeah, I art background, science background, business background, but... Um, I can't take all the credit. I, I did bounce some ideas off um, other friends and had my friend Elizabeth help me with the label as well. But yeah, I drew, I drew it uh, to where I wanted it to to feel like an East meets West, kind of like what Toki is, where uh, I really love American woodblock prints, which is kind of the main, um, if you're looking at the bottle, I think the listeners probably won't be able to see it. But then with uh, an Asian black and white motif and with the Korean red stamp um, and yeah, just kind of, you know, like what Doug and I are, we're you know, East meets West, I guess more so him than I. Well, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful bottle. And from what I hear, it's kind of, uh, you, you mentioned that since you moved back to Korea, the moving into phase 3.0 has been challenging for a good reason because demand in Korea has outstripped 
the supply. Like you, it sounds like the original idea was, you know, go to Korea, make it there and then ship some of it back to the United States. But it sounds like there's so much demand for it locally that you're having to sort of pivot that. So I guess I wanted to know what that feels like to you, you know, cause I know that you came in with this mission to, um, start using a lot of uh, traditions and ingredients and methods that had been, you know, forgotten or set aside. What is, is, is that validating? Is it like a little frustrating to be like, oh shoot, it's, it's, it's working too well. And now I have to readjust my plans. Sort of, how has that been for you? Oh, definitely not working too well. I would love that problem. That's, that sounds amazing. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Uh, No, it's, no, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I like expanding and growing a business is, you know, kind of hard in its own. It's just creating the infrastructure is its own thing. And, you know, we are a startup. Luckily, I have my business partner, Doug, who's much more. I mean, despite what you mentioned, me having a business degree, he's more of the the prodigy for growth and strategy than I am. You know, if I had it my way, I would just kind of be, you know, listening to music in the distillery, just filling barrels. But um no, it's it's great. You know, I, I love that people are are starting to check out new spirits, um, and uh, especially looking to the east. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the next uh, bridge in uh, cocktail spirits. You mentioned um, I actually learned something from your guys' podcast. Uh, my first cocktail experience was also in uh, New York in Chinatown, and I was saying this bar wrong the whole time until I listened to your podcast. I also thought it was Apotho K. And not Apo, was it Apotique? Is that how they pronounce Apotec. it? Apotec. Apotec, yeah. Yeah. I was saying Apotheque the whole time with my friends. That was my first <laughs> introduction to um, to cocktail bars in general. I just moved from, from Korea to New York when I was 29. I'm 40 now. And that was my first introduction. I was like, mm. this is super cool. And in the scene in, in Chinatown. And uh, yeah. And, and I was just like, you know what? Let's that was actually a huge inspiration that that was in Chinatown. I was like, let's do Asian spirits. So I was doing it for fun. And that's how, so he found out about it through her friends. Well, I mean, you to mentioned- be fair, when they came on the show, they did say that they deliberately made it so that you yeah, don't know. know how to pronounce the name. So I, I think, I don't think either we're all right or none of us are. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. I think that's the way they want it. Uh, creates a little bit of tension. You mentioned a second ago you you'd be happy enough just hanging out in the in the distillery, uh, putting product into barrel. And and then I that, that made me actually want to question: Is barreling this product a common thing, or is this an innovation that your brand is 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 pro- is producing? Yeah, this is kind of something that uh, you know my background is in whiskey and mm-hmm. uh, you know Western spirits, and uh, you know rice is a cereal grain, just like corn, wheat, barley, rye. And uh, there's so many parallels to American whiskey and soju fermentation. You know, it's a grain on fermentation. Uh, corn and rice convert at very similar temperatures. They're very sweet. Um, and the way that we distill and ferment, I was like, this is begging to be put in a barrel. And it hits all of the check marks of a whiskey and yeah. a barrel aged soju. So it's it's technically, you know, the first sticky rice whiskey and a barrel aged soju, uh, you know, when you taste it, you know, you're not drinking a bourbon, but you know, there's some familiarity and especially for Western drinkers, I thought this was a great way to kind of bridge the gap and start the conversation. It's like, Oh, this feels familiar. And then go maybe, you know, a little deeper down the the rabbit hole. 
uh, no pun intended and trying like the <laughs> other, the other skews and, uh, yeah, so it, it is, it is not common, especially, you know, there's no oak out here. Uh, there's no real barreling culture. Uh, this is totally, you know, Doug and I's love for whiskey, uh, personified with soju. And how's it yeah, been I, being received or looked at? It's great. Uh, so like behind soju, uh, Korea's next, uh, most popular spirit or most by volume drink spirit is whiskey and you know like japan big highball culture uh so really well received um really good in cocktails uh, and we're expanding that as well into um the gold label uh toki soju gold label is our first that was virgin american oak and uh we, we liked it so much we want to kind of continue that that barrel program um our next one is called the the garnet which we're releasing this month which is our sherry cast uh, Koreans love Speyside scotches. Anything sherry cast is usually a go for them. So that was easily my next choice. Uh, we barely aged it in uh, PX uh, Pedro Jimenez cast. And uh, yeah, and then some new weird stuff coming on the way. Um, this is the year of the rabbit that we're in now, at least for the next couple of weeks before the dragon starts. And uh, for this year, I did a smoked rice soju that we barely aged called mm. Toki Jade Label. Uh, I might revisit that again. I really love that one too. It was amazing in a in a old fashion are there any other soju brands out there that are trying to these sort of uh, barreling innovations or is it uh, you think kind of maybe as you've referred to numerous times the green bottle guys they just want to get volume they just want to get it out so they don't have any intention in their mind to like hold stuff and age it any they want to get it on shelves and get it sold for a dollar bottle yeah there's uh huayo has is now started a barrel age program um but i mean it, it's it's not common um yeah, it's kind of a, a newer thing. Western is great. You're you're out there innovating and, and bringing something new to the market that's unique, but 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 has ties to your history, to history of how things are done in other places in the world. I think that's pretty pretty awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks. Yeah, we're proud Thank of you. I can't wait to crack that bottle open. But I'm really enjoying this bottle. Yeah, th I was going to say like, like this is even with I the highball. I mean, I have a sparkling water right here, and I was like, I'm just going to make this a little light highball while I've got some in yeah. my glass. Um, but, you know, like my wife and I drink highballs all the time at home. And that was when I saw the the two barrel-aged bottles, uh, we immediately I, were like, well, we're going to make a highball with this. And yeah, totally, yeah, absolutely. It kicks ass, you know. Um, I wanted to ask, because there's, there's this thing that happens, I've realized, in all my work and education with spirits. Like so many people don't understand the middle part of the process, which is the fermentation part. So we know that this is made from grain, right? We know that whiskey is made from uh, grain. It's, bourbon's made from corn. You know, like uh, brandy's made from fruit. You know, but people forget about the middle process. Like you know, the grapes become wine. The grain becomes beer. Can you talk to us about the the fermented product before distillation? Absolutely, yeah. And that's uh, that's also um, you know kind of what the wort is or what the uh, the fermentation is. It it also creates two other types of alcohol that they drink in Korea. One is called uh, Chongju, which is also the name of the city that I'm currently in, and uh, Makoli, which is the other one. So. It is, uh, like I was saying, it's a grain on fermentation. So the style we do is called a bumbuck uh, fermentation. So we mill the rice 
similar to an American whiskey. The other style is called Godubop, which is steamed rice. Um, I do the milled rice just because you have access to more fermentable sugars, gets a, a sweeter distillate. But what happens is in the fermentation, it'll stack where the rice sediment will go to the bottom. Um, and then the top layer has the higher alcohols. Um, alcohol is lighter than water, which goes to the top. And that kind of um, what a lot of people consider rice wine, that's called the Chongju layer. They'll rack that off and uh, drink that. And it's kind of like a clear yellowish um, kind of a, usually around, it depends how much you feed the culture, but usually around like 10% alcohol, sometimes higher. And that lower part is called makgeolli, which is kind of like a nagore sake, like kind of like a silty, milky. Um, and yeah, so makgeolli, it was known as like the people's drink. That's what everybody drank. And it's kind of like a rice beer. Um, you know, in Korea, sometimes they even add like um, Sprite or um, soju right. as well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that top layer is, is, is more fancy and usually, you know, kind of sipped like a wine would. Uh, but that's our base fermentation. And when they're together, it's called uh, wanju, like it's one culture. And then uh, we distill on the grain as well. We uh, we don't run it through a centrifuge or do a wash run or anything like that, uh, which is the way they did it. So, yeah, that uh, the fermentation, also good stuff. Uh, I make that as well uh, just to drink for fun. It's really good. Makgeolli and Chongju. Yeah. Well, that kind I've of had both. And it and uh, I think that's uh, like one of those things that like, I'm glad you explained that because like, I think for a lot of times our listeners might not understand that middle part of the process or, or the beginning part of the process. And it's like, it's, it's fascinating to me that there's a whole culture around that, you know, before you get to the distillate. And that's, you know, when we think about just the, the basics, the, the, the need for creating these products, it was all based on preservation, right? Preservation of the grain. And then then you make it into the makgeolli, right? But then you're like, oh, uh, well, that's going to turn. So we got to figure out how to preserve that now. So then it's distillation. And, it, you know, it's like, it's just all like, it's all based on, you know, the growth of the, the, the raw product and then how we save it, you know, and then also how we can have fun along the way with every step of the process. No, yeah, absolutely. Really cool. Yeah, and Greg, yeah you... I mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Greg. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, I, I mean, I was just uh, you, you know what, friend, you you go ahead and respond to that because I got a uh, this this might you just go ahead and do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say. Uh, yeah, you're so right. I mean, Korea is just like the OG of fermentation, from like food to alcohol, and like right. every stage of the process, uh, whether they're you know fermenting their foods or fermenting their grains uh, to drink or to eat. Um, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's all about preservation, you know, when they, they didn't know when the next harvest was going to come. So, you know, they were burying their, their clay pots, um, also preserving their alcohol and, and ongi, which are those jars that you see that kimchi's, um, preserved in as well. So yeah, they've been doing it, uh, you know, long before the U S was a country. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it, it is what cool if, to see and to dive into that for sure. Yeah, totally. What about, okay. So like, let's take a, a little bit further. I mean, we've talked about the barrel aging, which is an innovation that you've kind of spearheaded and, uh, taken like, like just you're taking the flag and running with it. Um, but you have created, uh, in your lineup, I was really shocked because, uh, as I mentioned before, I was tasting through all the sample bottles, and then I got to Sumbi and, 
it's a gin and it's and it's very 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 i you know my my career has been a lot in you know i'll create several different gins over over time and uh i i just love gin and i, I want to hear about this one and kind of what the inspiration was with it is gin like a thing in south korea i mean uh it, it, like are there any botanicals that go into this gin that are specific to to the, the the area can you tell us more about that one yeah absolutely i love these questions i feel like you're teeing me up for all the points that i wanted to <laughs> so uh yeah sunbee is our our other spirits we're line. just nerds so do... man no <laughs> yeah i'm just huge I'll, nerds <laughs> i'll get i'll get as weird as you want um so sunbee is uh oh yeah so toki we do all of our korean spirits um under the name toki all of our western spirits with korean ingredients we do under the name sunbee Sonbi in Korean is uh, kind of the word for um, a person that's a scholar. They give up their kind of worldly status in society to just kind of uh, learn more and enlighten themselves. And that's kind of like our ethos with the brand. We, we don't want to kind of rest on our laurels. We kind of want to always be innovating, doing uh, new weird stuff. And uh, Korea just has so many cool uh, root vegetables, um, you know, fruits that are just perfect for gin um in korean they call it uh yakchu which like literally translates to like medicine liquor where they're making like what i would consider a gin or just kind of like a uh you know kind of like a clarified amaro or amari and uh i just wanted Damn, to showcase uh, i wanted to showcase a lot of these and i was like this will make uh so the gin that i sent you guys sunbi gin is technically a london dry style but with korean botanicals um you know, two of which are only found in that gin, uh, one of which is called Omija, which is a Korean berry that only grows in uh, Korea and Manchuria. And Omija means five flavored berry. And I think if, if more distillers knew about this, it'd be integrated in so many more mash bills because it's kind of like a catch all for gin distillers. Like it hits that like peppery corn note that you want. Um, it, it gets you that nice, like kind of dry flavor it gives you that spice it gives you that fruity element from the berry and has like almost like a salty uh taste too which is it just really rounds out the gin and um kamcho which is uh is like a licorice bark that also just gives it that nice drying agent on the back end that you want for a nice london dry gin uh but yes sunbi uh in korea we don't have this in the u.s yet but we uh we made korea's first uh vodka as well which sunbi vodka is uh the same rice we make our soju from just distilled uh, to be a vodka as well. Well, that's wild. And yeah. I mean, I've, I've got the, the gin is the only bottle that I didn't uh, sample in my, um, again, you know, very serious work research. Yeah. Uh, In-depth look at Bender the, uh, that I went on. Yeah. Uh, so I'm super excited to, to try that out now. If, if um, our guests wanted to follow along and, uh, um, see what you're up to also before we do that is there any anything coming up that you want to tease any uh thing that you're working on that you want to maybe say that people should keep their eyes out for yeah uh keep it keep an eye out for that barrel age program we've been talking about uh so the toki soju garnet label is the next one to kind of hit the american market and that's the sherry cast one which um you know higher abv 46 percent uh so really good for building a cocktail if you're into whiskey this is a great gateway drug like it's uh it's good for the whiskey enthusiast yeah it's 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 super fun you know it is it is a soju but you know it's it's it reminiscent of a whiskey 
Uh, that one's coming out. Um, and then, yeah, for Sunbee, we want to keep doing more stuff with that. You know, as, as the brand grows, uh, we want to do more Western spirits and showcase cool Korean ingredients. Uh, so look out for that, too. Well, I'm stoked for it. And if, if our guests wanted to yeah, follow along and keep up with your exploits, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, I think our Instagram, whenever we kind of unlock a new uh, territory that we're selling in or uh, releasing a new SKU or any kind of fun event that we're doing, Instagram's good, which is just at Toki Soju. Um, they were pretty, pretty good about it. And um, one more thing we have in the pipeline, not available in America, but anyone in Korea right now, we have another soju coming out called Hechi, which is a little bit different fermentation distillation style. And uh, yeah, check that one out as well. You can find that on Toki Soju's links too. Great. Nice. This man, this has been so much fun. And it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I know that uh, there's a, a lot more to talk about. And we love having people like you on the show who have like a wealth of knowledge about this stuff. And like, there, I know we could just talk forever about it. I know we're at time today, but man, we'd love to have you back on the show to dig yeah. in deeper, you know, and like maybe go over some of the other expressions, like some of the barrel aged ones that uh, we talked about, but maybe we do a, an on-air tasting with them as well, you know? Um, and I, I, I just, I think it's cool that you built this man. I, you know, I, I remember meeting you in, in Brooklyn and, uh, and I just, I love that you've, you've expanded this and you built that and, you know, me coming from a graphic design background, I, I really love the label too. And the thing Thanks, is, brother. it's, um, it's a new year and you said it was year of rabbit, but there's also this, uh, this tradition saying rabbit, rabbit, every, like the first thing you say at the beginning of the day. So I like that, but I, you know, I also lo love the woodblock carving style, but the label's really clean too, and it really mm -hmm. reflects like what the juice is inside. Yeah, exactly, you it's know a what I mean. Of what's it's, in the glass, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So very cool stuff, man. And um, I'm glad you made the time to get on the horn with us from South Korea. It's yeah, cool that we do it. this show this way these days because you know, being in the studio, we we definitely miss being in the studio in Brooklyn uh, at Heritage Radio Network. But this really opens us up and, you know, it started with COVID doing the remote shows, but, you know, being able to talk to anyone at any time from around the world, so long as you're awake, um, it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just great. So we really appreciate you taking the time to be here today and talking with us about it. Um, so everyone go check out Toki Soju. It's, it's fantastic stuff. And it's really, it's kind of, it's, to me, it's like history and culture in a, in a bottle, you know, when you're drinking spirits like this. So yeah. uh, how do you, speaking of, how do you say cheers uh, in Korean? Uh, so the the more common ways to just say chan, which means glass, but, or you can say gonbae. I like chan. <laughs> chan, yeah. yeah, just chan. Glass. Chan, yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's exactly. it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for more programs like this one. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station. Keep us going. And until next week, chan. Chan, everybody. Chan. So you don't chan the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.